0: And on this week's show, we hear from South Sudan, where the FIFA Secretary-General Fatma Samura made a recent visit. The president of the South Sudan Football Association is hoping that Africa's newest country can make progress with football development.
1: As we are engaging in grassroots, we'll be also advocating for peace in our country.
0: That's coming shortly, and also former Nigeria international Garba Lawal speaks out against players of Nigerian descent born in other countries, choosing to play for Nigeria as a last resort after failing to earn a place in the countries of their birth. And Stuart on Ronaldo's return to the English Premier League and on Chelsea's promising start too. So it's another packed show this week and we start with the CAF Champions League and the second legs of the preliminary round ties of the 2021-22 edition are on this weekend. In the first legs last weekend, a great win for Malawi's Nyasa Big Bullets, 1-0 away to Amazulu of South Africa. Amazulu coached by South Africa great Benny McCarthy. And Fortune FC of the Gambia had an excellent 3-0 home win over two-time African champions Entente Setif of Algeria. The winners of these ties join the 10 seeded teams in the first round and the winners of the first round ties qualify for the group stage. In other news, in fallout from the World Cup qualifiers this month, uh, Ghana fired their coach Charles C.K. Akonor and his two assistants after the Black Stars lost 1-0 away to South Africa. And Ghana's opponents in next month's World Cup qualifiers, Zimbabwe, also fired their coach, the Croatian Dravko Logorusic, who had just one win from 14 games with the Warriors. Now, last week on the show, we highlighted how a lot of players born in Europe featured for African teams in this month's World Cup qualifiers. For example, the Tunisia-Equatorial Guinea match featured more players born in Europe than in Africa in the starting 11s, 13 players out of 22. It's part of football these days that there are players of African heritage all around the world, and it does seem to make sense to hunt for the best of them. But a former Nigeria international, Gaba Lawal, has spoken out against players of Nigerian descent born in other countries choosing to play for Nigeria as a last resort after failing to earn a place in the countries of their birth. Lawal played at two World Cups and won Olympic gold in 1996, and he said that any player that's not good enough to play for England or Germany is not good enough for the Super Eagles. Uh, what do you make of that, Taira?
2: Well, Lawal was reacting to reports making rounds that gank forward Ike Ugbo has decided to switch allegiance to Nigeria from England. And I do agree with Lawal's sentiment, Steve, because it is a bit condescending, if you think about it, you know, to clearly show that you prefer one thing, but will settle for another if your first option isn't available. On principle alone, it's not only condescending, but it's insulting as well, and it also feeds, it goes to feed into this perpetual narrative that many, and especially now in the new generation, many are trying to change, you know, which is Africa's inferiority to the rest of the world. So Garba Lawal has a point, Steve, a valid one. Any player that's not good enough to play for England or Germany should not be good enough for the Super Eagles. There's also national pride at stake. But as we all know, The situation is also not that simple. That is a very much ideal setting. I mean, you see how the FAs are now almost pandering to these players because they believe that they need them, you know. And these players, to some extent, have also shown their pedigree and that the countries should also need them, quote unquote, at least in this narrative. But you know what, Steve, it's ultimately really discouraging for the young kid out there with a dream, you know, growing up in that country, wanting to be the local hero in that African country, because the Federation deserves to nurture and develop that talent first. It is their responsibility, you know, instead of relying on people whose interests were elsewhere, but then ended up in their contingency plan so to speak, their plan B, their backup, you know. So ultimately, this might also breed very lazy football associations if we're not careful, Steve. But look, as I say again, all that is in a very ideal world. So I guess it has to be a balance between where we are now and where we'd like to be in the future.
0: Yeah, and as I mentioned on the show last week, that's my fear, too, that uh, football associations in Africa mustn't reduce the priority of youth development. But, uh, of course, at the same time, they can't ignore talented players in other countries who can potentially represent their national team. Well, thanks, Ida. Stay with us. We're going to hear from South Sudan now. For the first time on Planet Sport Football Africa, South Sudan is Africa's newest country, having gained independence from Sudan in 2011, They're fourth from bottom in the FIFA rankings for Africa. And the FIFA Secretary-General Fatima Samura has been travelling to several African countries to build capacity and to strengthen women's football specifically. And last weekend, she went to Juba, the capital of South Sudan, and there, the recently elected president of the South Sudan Football Association, General Augustino Madut Parekh, spoke to the media during Fatma Samura's visit.
1: It's a honor and a privilege uh, for South Sudan Football Association uh, because uh, she has initiated to come and visit us uh, during uh, so many challenges that South Sudan Football Association is passing through. And of course... Uh, uh, this two-day visit we have uh, discussed a uh, number of issues and we have uh, one of them is actually to see and instruct the stadium, Juba International Stadium and, and then you see how it can be accelerated in order to finish and that is commissioned so that we can play in it in, uh, sooner uh, than later and again also she went also and the national team friendly match. <coughs> And uh, from there, we are having also a one-on-one meeting that we have raised all the challenges that are facing uh, the development of football in South Sudan, as well as also the strategy that we think the FIFA can help us in order to uh, to solve all these problems. Uh, and uh, today, she we went met with the government in the person of the Ministry of Youth and Sports, and they were having uh, fruitful meetings and uh, that meeting asked the government to support the, the sport as well. He acknowledged that FIFA will do its part as well. The government should do its part in order to develop uh, football and especially women football in the country. Uh, we went to go and see the grassroots activity at Beluk and uh, it was a very good, uh, very good activities of the children that after the schools and children at the centers, they demonstrate uh, a good future for the children in the country. And, of course, as uh, she promised to help the grassroots, uh, we will extend to different states and all community levels so that we actually, as we are engaging in grassroots, will be also advocating for peace in our country. The board of directors has shared uh, with, uh, Madame Fatna, all, uh, priorities which are necessary for the development of football. Uh, Madame, we don't say that FIFA will do everything, uh, for all of us. We'll, uh, we'll do our part as, as, as a country. Uh, the government, uh, will do its part. As South Sudan Football Association will try to do our part. And also we'll ask, CAF uh, and, of course, uh, FIFA in the heart of the, our demand to to support us of course mainly to summarize the issues we discussed is infrastructure capacity building issue to do with coaches referees managers issue to do with the media with medical with football uh, at grassroots level uh, women football this in summary these are things that we have discussed and hopefully uh, Madame will will put her hand and also with the grace of uh, the FIFA uh, president Guinea Infantino who has first come to South Sudan when he was elected and I think he sent a congratulated message last time and he said in person he is uh, he will do his endeavour to support the football of South Sudan as well and uh, we'll try to, to put our house in order
0: so that's the president of the South Sudan Football Association, General Augustino Madut Perek, speaking to the media during FIFA Secretary-General Fatma Samura's recent visit. Uh, so lots of issues there, as you would expect, Aida, as a very new country. Uh, lots to do in men's and women's football, and I guess lots of potential too.
2: Lots of potential, Steve. And to try and understand the backdrop of South Sudanese football, well one has to understand the strife, you know, that's gone on in the country because we're talking about a country that's been at war for decades. So football now, especially, isn't just viewed as sport, you know, but as a tool to continue promoting peace. And it's not to say that there hasn't been, you know, a sort of football situation entirely. It's just that they've had to rely for so long on foreign-based players, specifically Australia-based players, there's a huge contingent of South Sudanese uh, football players in Australia. For example, Steve, in the 2019 Afghan qualifiers, well, 12 players out of the squad of 32 were actually based in Australia. And the country is now getting wins over much more established countries in the region, you know, like Uganda in the latest Nations Cup qualifiers. Well, that was a shock, I would think. And uh South Sudan's bright stars, as they're called, I'm sure were very happy with that one. And Steve, women's football is also providing a huge opportunity for the girls as well. You know, don't forget, we're talking about a country here where gender-based violence was used as a tool for so long in the Civil War and where a large percentage of girls, Steve, are married off by the age of 18. So in 2019, a national women's football team was formed, and now they've also just played in the Secafa Zone qualifiers for the inaugural CAF Women's Champions League. Now, they didn't go through, but I think just the experience alone is a huge building point, you know? And they're now getting ready for their first ever Kossafer Women's Championship. Of course, that will be on invitation. Oh, and uh South Sudan named South African Shilen Buzien as the country's coach for the twenty twenty three FIFA Women's World Cup cycle. Shilen, of course, uh Banyana Banyana legend. And now the country, Steve, has a women's league started in early 2021. So we're seeing many firsts, Steve. And as you can see as well, this really does transcend sport. And looking at infrastructure, well, as many can imagine, it's a huge problem, of course. Uh, the stadium in Juba in South Sudan has been under redevelopment for some time now. So, FIFA now says that the facility is being developed by the FIFA Forward Funds. Hopefully, we will see, you know, some form of outlet there. So in the past, what's been happening is South Sudan has been forced to host the home leg of their ties in Khartoum, which is in neighboring Sudan. So overall, yes, Steve, absolutely. So much potential. And Africa already has a young population, you know, the youngest in the world, actually. But considering that 73 percent, Steve, I'll say that again, 73 percent of the South Sudan population are under the age of 40. Well, I think that's promise for the future right there. Huge promise. And especially if the right structures are put in place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Ida. Some amazing insights into football in South Sudan there. We'll see what progress they will make in the coming years. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And still to come, Stuart on Ronaldo's return to the English Premier League. You can follow us on Twitter at PlanetSportfa, and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and also listen to past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And our website is planetsport.tv. And in the blog section of our website, Planet Sport Football Africa's Russ Bravo looks at the return of fans to the stadiums in the English Premier League and how the encouragement makes such a difference for the fans and also how encouragement helps in matters of faith. Here's Russ on why the fans matter so much. Sport needs
3: spectators. Football needs fans. The beautiful game without a crowd, singing their songs, celebrating a goal, roaring at the referee over a controversial decision, is like a party with no guests. It feels more like a kickabout than a contest, a training exercise, not something that matters. So it's been a joy to witness the return of fans in the Premier League. Yes, you can have matches played behind closed doors, but fans bring a game to life. Sport is a shared experience between the players and the fans, where all the dramas of human experience are brought into play. Amazing moments of skill or bravery, raw talent on display, extraordinary comebacks when all looks lost, heartbreak when defeat arrives unexpectedly, surprise when David beats Goliath. There is something about the physical presence of others that spurs us on. Vocal encouragement is a really powerful thing that helps us push ourselves to the limit, do things we didn't think were possible, perform better than we ever expected. I was reminded of this most powerfully when I took part recently in a 10 kilometer road race, the first competitive race I've run probably in the last 45 years. Unless you count the father's race over 50 metres at my children's school sports day. I took up running in February last year, hoping to improve my fitness and lose a bit of weight. I had low expectations, as I'd struggled to keep it going in the past, and often pushed too hard too soon and sustained an injury. I didn't think I was a runner, really. But getting out for some early morning exercise in lockdown was a welcome escape from worrying about work and the pandemic, and I soon began to make steady progress and even enjoy it. So tackling first a 5k run and then in time a 10k distance was both rewarding and challenging as I slowly pushed myself to a better time. But solo training runs really hadn't prepared me for a 10k race in a city also hosting its annual marathon and where the streets were lined with spectators cheering on the runners, many of whom were raising money for charity. People applauded and shouted encouragement, and once we turned into the final straight, there was a real sense of togetherness and mutual support. I would keep going, urged on by the voices of strangers and my own family waving a sign. It reminded me once again of the Apostle Paul's illustration in the letter to the Hebrews in the Bible about those who follow Jesus. He had just gone through a long list of those centuries before who were obedient to God through their faith and are now like a team of supporters in the crowd, urging on all those still running the race of following Jesus. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race set out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As fans cheer on their team, as crowds urge the runners to finish the race and give their all, so we have the encouragement of all the saints to run the race of faith and receive God's well done, good and faithful servant when we cross the finish line.
0: Thanks, Russ. That's Planet Sport Football Africa's Russ Bravo. You can read his blog on this on our website, planetsport.tv. You go to the website and click on the blog section on the top on the right on our homepage, and then you can read Russ's blog, Why the Fans Matter So Much. We're next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. I'm joined by Stuart Weir in the UK, our European football expert. Uh, now, last week on social media, we went through uh, some of the thoughts from listeners on how Cristiano Ronaldo would do on his return to Manchester United. Uh, I must say, a lot of listeners were not convinced, although some did think that Ronaldo will be a great success back at Manchester United, uh, but others felt that he's too old to deliver. <laughs> well, Stuart, didn't he just deliver?
4: You know, Steve, I cannot remember any signing in the Premier League which provoked such a reaction as the second coming of Cristiano Ronaldo. We have expected him to start on the bench uh, last weekend, but he was in the starting line-up and he had scored before half-time. Now, we mentioned last week how the majority of his goals come in the goal area these days and often what one might call against lesser clubs and his first goal for Manchester United against Newcastle was what you might call a tap-in but I would say rather it was his anticipation, his quicker reaction than the defenders to make sure that he was in the right position when the Newcastle United goalkeeper was unable to hold Mason Greenwood's shot so his experience really coming to the fore there he scored a second goal in the second half as United won 4-1 over Newcastle He also started the midweek Champions League game against young boys in Switzerland, uh, scoring in the first half, but only to see United play for an hour with 10 men, conceding a goal deep into stoppage time to lose the game 2-1. But, you know, three goals in two games is pretty impressive, but he brings so much more than that. He's always looking to the ball, making himself available to colleagues, creating space and opportunities for teammates. His very presence unsettles opposition defenders. And the crowd reaction when he scored his first goal for United was unbelievable. And the excitement of the fans... Seeing that they have signed or re-signed a real superstar was plain to see. As we expected, he's no longer the young player with boundless energy, but his experience and ability to read the game always seem to put him in the right position time after time. Of course, it's only two games, but you know, the indications are that Ronaldo will be one of the most significant players in the Premier League this season. Just an interesting thing for those of you who like the trivia, Ronaldo was again given the number seven shirt for Manchester United, twelve years after he had it last. And in those twelve years, six players have worn that iconic Manchester United number seven shirt. Michael Owen, Antonio Valencia, Angel Di Maria, Memphis Depay, Alexis Sanchez and Edison Cavani.
0: It really was a dream return to Old Trafford for Cristiano Ronaldo. And uh, as you say, the crowd was amazing. I was surprised that he said after the game that he was feeling nervous because he really did seem to handle the pressure uh, so, so well, like uh, an absolute legend. Uh, And Stuart, Tottenham, Chelsea on Sunday, the big game of the weekend. And uh, Chelsea looking really good so far. Well, the Premier League
4: table already has an ominous look to it. The top four are Manchester United, Chelsea, Liverpool and Manchester City. And frankly, it would be no surprise at all if the season finishes with those four still at the top. Tottenham won their first three games, then lost 3-0 away to Crystal Palace, a first victory for Patrick Vieira. And I bet the former Arsenal player enjoyed beating Tottenham. The game changed totally after an hour when Tottenham midfield player Japheth Tanganga uh, an English player with Congolese roots was shown a second yellow card playing against 10 men Palace then scored 3 goals first through the Ivorian Wilfred Zaha Palace then brought on their new signing Edson Eduard he was on the pitch for just 7 minutes but managed to score 2 goals to seal the 3-0 win not a bad de- debut for him and Chelsea are the visitors uh, to Tottenham on Sunday. And what an important game for both teams. Chelsea are unbeaten and have looked really impressive uh, with Lukaku scoring again at the weekend. And um, their Senegalese goalkeeper, uh, Monday having an outstanding game. But Tottenham, with home advantage, uh, will be looking to get back on winning ways. But taking on Chelsea will be a real reality check for Nuno's team uh, after that defeat to Palace. Um, Liverpool are at home to Crystal Palace, Manchester United go to West Ham and Manchester City are at home to Southampton. So you'd expect those teams all to win. So important for both Chelsea and Tottenham to get something out of that game.
0: And uh, Arsenal getting their first win of the season, Stuart.
4: Not just their first win, Steve, their first goal in the league. And it was a scrappy one put in by Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. It was a 1-0 win over Norwich. And Arsenal had 30 attempts on goal, but only one went in. And talking of shots on goal Liverpool have had over a hundred in their four games this season which is more than anyone Liverpool beat Leeds 3-0 and an interesting fact from that game is that in the past 12 months Liverpool have scored 13 goals from corners more than any other club and also Leeds, their opponents, have conceded more goals from corners than anyone else, also 13 but there were no corner goals in that game Mo Salah did score for Liverpool and that was his 100th Premier League goal. What a great achievement for him. There was an unfortunate incident in that game when Leeds United's Pascal Stroik tried to hook the ball away from Liverpool's Harvey Elliott catching the Liverpool player and resulting in him breaking and dislocating his ankle. While Stroik's tackle was not excessively violent, he was shown a red card by referee Craig Pawson. He was understood to have based the decision partly on the severity of the injury suffered by Elliott. Which is an interesting interpretation of the laws. Elliot was taken to hospital, found himself in the next bed to a boy who had just broken his arm playing football. Elliot immediately took off his Liverpool match shirt and gave it to the lad in the next bed. What a lovely gesture!
0: <laughs> Very touching indeed. That and uh, yeah, it was a horrendous injury for uh, Elliot. And uh, Stuart, news that uh, Senegal forward Demba Ba has retired. Some good moments for him in the Premier League in the past.
4: Yes, uh, I suppose it comes to us all. He's drawn the curtain on an illustrious career which lasted 19 years. Born in France of Senegalese parents, he opted to play for Senegal, making 22 international appearances. He played professionally in France, Belgium, Germany, Turkey, China and Switzerland and in the middle of his career spent five years in the Premier League with West Ham, Newcastle and Chelsea. In total he scored 159 league goals throughout the world. For Newcastle he made 54 appearances scoring 29 league goals and in his first season Newcastle beat Blackburn Rovers and also beat Stoke City 3-1 with Demba Bass scoring all three goals in each of those games. The following season he moved from Newcastle to Chelsea mid-season and scored a total of 19 goals that season for the two clubs. Chelsea reached the FA Cup semi-final, beating Manchester United 1-0 in the quarter-final with Ba scoring, and they lost the semi-final to Manchester City 2-1 after Ba had scored again. The following season, he struggled to get a starting place in the Chelsea lineup, making only five league appearances uh, as a starter, but 14 of the bench. But he still managed not only to score five league goals including a victory at Liverpool, but three Champions League goals as well. He announced on his retirement on Twitter, it was with a heart filled with gratitude that I announced the end of my playing career. He was a Muslim, a man of principle, and when playing for Newcastle, he refused to wear a shirt with Wonga, the club sponsor, because... The Payday Loan Company offended his principles. He played for three years in China and spoke out there against China's uh, mistreatment of some of the uh, Muslim minorities. An excellent player and a man who tried to make a difference to the world.
0: Yes, an eventful career for Senegal's Denver Bar. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Uh, A quick word on the UEFA Champions League with the group stage having started this week and lots of goals. Uh, Barcelona without Lionel Messi losing 3-0 at home to Bayern Munich. Uh, Could we be looking at the end of an era there, maybe, uh, with Barca? And Messi himself not scoring as a Paris Saint-Germain were held to a 1-1 draw away to Club Bruges. This despite Messi, Neymar and Mbappe starting together for the first time. A great game between Liverpool and AC Milan. The Reds winning 3-2 with Mohamed Salah among the scorers. And Manchester City beating RB Leipzig 6-3, five different scorers for City in that game, plus an own goal, and really showing the strength of their squad because they've had nine different scorers in the Premier League so far this season. Right, before we go, our question on social media this week. We're asking, do Chelsea have what it takes to win the English Premier League? A good start to the season for Chelsea. Ten points from four games. Only dropping points in that draw with Liverpool where they played half of the game with ten men. Romelu Lukaku has three goals already. So, do Chelsea have what it takes to win the league with manager Thomas Tuchel? You can go to our Facebook page Planet Sport Football Africa and post a comment there or send us a WhatsApp to +447955232780. That's +447955232780. So do you think that Chelsea have what it takes to become the champions this season in the Premier League under their manager Thomas Tuchel and the Blues are taking on Tottenham in the big game of the weekend and that one is on Sunday. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.